Welcome. Nice to see all these happy faces. Continuing on our spiritual gift series, and tonight we're going to unpack the uh, working of miracles. We've been taking a look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and so this evening, here we are, verse 10. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Holy Spirit, we invite you to be with us, expectant, hopeful, faithfully awaiting for you to work your spiritual gifts amongst us. And tonight, Lord, there may be some of us here who are in need of a miracle. I know there are folks in our church. Uh, I just don't know about the specific people here. And so, Lord, may you make those spiritual gifts manifest tonight, whether wisdom, knowledge, faith, prophecy, miracles. We ask, Lord, that you would make those gifts manifest in us tonight. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, reads to another, the working of miracles. So in the last two services, we took a look at the gift of faith, and we also took at the gifts of healing, respectively. And in those messages, we discovered that faith, healing, and miracles are all related. They're all connected. Now, what is a miracle? Easton's Bible Dictionary defines it as an event in the external world brought about by the immediate agency or the simple volition of God, operating without the use of means capable of being discerned by the senses and designed to authenticate the divine commission of a religious teacher and the truth of his message. It is an occurrence at once above nature and above man. It shows the intervention of a power that is not limited by the laws either of matter or of mind, a power interrupting the fixed laws which govern their movements, a supernatural power. That's the definition provided by Easton's Bible Dictionary. Now the Bible is filled with miracles, and we can be here all night just going from miracle to miracle to miracle to miracle, and we'll do a little bit of that, but not all of them. And even if you open up your Bible to the very first verse, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, if you believe that miracle, the following miracles throughout Genesis into Revelation are not that hard to accept, right? I mean, if you accept that one, the rest is easy. And so to believe that God is omniscient, omnipresent, am, omnibenevolent, omnipotent, who created the heavens and the earth, and you begin to understand how big God is. The belief in miracles and the belief in God, they go hand in hand because if you're stuck in the natural world, it is hard to fathom a supernatural one. And so the one stuck in the natural world tends to reason using natural means and speaks about miracles found in the Bible as fictional stories or there's some natural explanation for the event. Now I do believe that there are times God uses natural means to perform miracles, but there's also an element of mystery to where we can't explain the miracle. Now for example, the plagues against the Egyptians found in Exodus. Those are all miracles, right? But there are these natural explanations behind each of those plagues. But I still believe them to be miracles and that God was the agent who brought about the event without needing the natural means to carry out the miracle. Right? So 
frogs and flies and boils, all natural things. And God, I don't hesitate to think at all, he was just like, kind of like, go on, let go. And, and it was natural, right, that they would move. But I think God's hand in moving them is the miraculous thing. That's a supernatural thing. See, God is not dependent on the natural world in order to perform the miracle. So he's still above nature and he's not limited or bound by the laws of nature. Now in the Bible, we read of God using people to carry out his miracles. Moses had the gifts of working of miracles, right? In the Egyptian plagues, in the parting of the Red Sea, the miracles in the wilderness, like hitting the rock and the water gushing out of it. You look at people like Elijah, the prophet Elijah was used by God and he had the gifts of miracles and when he prayed for a drought, it didn't rain for three years. And then three years later he prays and it rained. And so there was this widow and her son and Elijah visited them during the drought and, and he asked them to make him something to eat. And so the widow told Elijah that she only had enough oil and flour for her and her son just to have like one last meal before they die. And so in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 13, Elijah said to her, Do not fear, go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself and your son. Then in verses 15 and 16, we're informed that she went and did as Elijah said. I mean, the nerve of the guy, right? They're going to die, and he's like, just do a little cake. Just make me a little one. And she and, and, and he and her household, they ate for many days afterwards. Right? And the jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, and according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Just a miracle. Absolute miracle. Actually, the workings of miracles are actually pretty numerous by the prophet Elijah. He's full of miracles. He raised that widow's son from the dead uh, later on in that chapter, and then in the next chapter, 1 Kings chapter 18, is this really, really well-known miracle when he battled the 450 prophets of Baal. And so whenever we go back to Israel and we visit Mount Carmel, we go there and we tell this story because this is where it happened. It's not a made-up fictional thing. It's right there. And so Elijah issued a challenge to these 450 prophets of Baal. He says, uh, bring two bulls, right? Bring two bulls, one bull for you guys and one bull for me because we're going to prove whose God is bull right here. And so you guys choose whichever bull you want, and you guys butcher it, and then you lay it on wood, but don't light it on fire. Don't light it on fire. I'm going to do the same, and you guys go ahead and call your God to set fire on this sacrifice, and I will do the same thing. Okay, so the prophets of Baal, they went first, and so they start calling upon the name of Baal, and from morning until noon, they're calling on the name of Baal, and there's no answer, and they're just kind of limping around the altar. Then at noon, Elijah starts mocking them. And he said this in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 27. Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. Now who says that there is no sarcasm in Christians? I mean, your God is relieving himself? I mean, come on, that's awesome. And then he just started clowning on these guys. Right? He's just clowning. And so these guys got more serious and more into it. And they're like crying out loud and they start cutting themselves. They started cutting themselves with swords and lances because that was the custom. And, and you know, now we're serious and we're cutting ourselves and we're bleeding and blood's everywhere. Still no answer from Baal. Then Elijah said to all the people, 
come near to me. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. They destroyed the former altar that was there. And he, he made this huge trench around this altar. He made it of 12 stones because it represented the 12 tribes of the sons of Jacob. And so he put the wood on the altar. He butchered the bull and he laid it on the wood. Then he told the people, you know, not only am I going to just light this thing on fire, but fill four jars full of water and pour it all over this burnt offering. Pour it on the bull, pour it on the wood, just pour it on there. And they did it. And they did it a second time. And they did it a third time. So this thing is drenched full of water. And the trench is full of water. Then Elijah prayed, and it's all consumed by fire. The water is just gone. It takes up all the water. And then in verse 39, And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. I love Elijah. Elijah's the man. Right? Elijah's the man. He's one of my favorite guys. There's this other story I have to share about Elijah. Right? Second Kings chapter 1. King Ahaziah of Samaria was injured in an accident. He falls through a lattice, like in a second story or something. He's just the king, right, leaning on his stuff. Oh, he falls, right? It's a splat. And all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't fix him. And so he sends messengers to Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, to ask, is he going to recover from this fall? Is he going to recover from this? And so Elijah was instructed by God to meet up with these messengers that were going to Beelzebub to tell them that, you know what, your king's going to die. And so these guys come back and they go back to the king sooner than expected. And the king wonders why, why, you're back already? It, it can't be that fast. And so they told their king that this guy came and told them that he was going to die, this hippie guy. Right, he's wearing like, Leather stuff and fur and stuff. He's just a total hippie, natural guy. Everything's organic on him. And they told him, he actually said, your God's our God, a false God. And so the king was like, that's Elijah. The only hippie guy on the desert I know that would call us out on that is Elijah. You go tell that hippie to come over here. Right? So he sends his captain and his captain's 50 men. And they go and they arrest Elijah. And so Elijah's sitting on his favorite hill. Top of the hill, he's just kicking back over there. And so they're over there, and the, and the captain says, Come down! And, fire says, and, and he says, Come down. I'll show you what come down. Fire come down. It's all gone, right? They're all consumed by the fire. And then the king was like, Get Elijah over here. He sends a second captain and sends another 50 men with this second captain. And this second captain says, Come down quickly. And again, he was like, Come down quickly, huh? all wiped out, consumed by fire. And so this, so the king's really mad again. He sends a third captain with another 50 men and he's there. This guy's smarter. This guy falls on his knees and he begs Elijah to let him live and to let his men live. And would you please, Mr. Prophet Elijah, not kill us. Don't kill us. He doesn't even ask Elijah to come down. He doesn't say anything. He just goes there and says, don't kill us. Please don't kill us. And then God tells Elijah, oh, okay, go down. And so he goes down. See, Elijah was just this pyromaniac. He loves fire. And I look forward to meeting Elijah. And I also look forward to meeting Elisha. Elisha is the man too. I love Elisha. Elisha was a smart cookie. A really smart cookie. Because 
before Elijah was taken from this world in the whirlwind, he said to Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And this is what Elisha said. Smart, smart guy. Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. Dude, you're smart. I mean, Elijah's the man. He had the spirit. He's like, can you give me double? Like, <laughs> like what? And as you read through the Bible, you'll find that Elisha was quite the miracle worker. I haven't done an exact count, but it's probably about double. Right? Double the amount of miracles that Elijah did, Elisha did. In fact, the first miracle happens right after Elijah was taken up in the whirlwind. Like, right away. Because right then, Elisha uses Elijah's cloak and he strikes the Jordan River and it parts so that he can cross over back towards Jericho in the Jordan River. Amazing, right? Just right away. And then three days later, while he was in Jericho, some people brought to him the spring water. And they bring this to Elisha and they say, this water is bad. It's like Southern California water. Like, have you guys tasted that? If you haven't, do it because you'll appreciate Hetch Hetchy and EB Mud so much after you taste their water. Their water is horrid. It's like this Jericho water. And so it's bad and it's unfruitful to the land and they, it's undrinkable. Like it's, it's no good. And so Elijah asked for a bowl and put some salt in it. And then he goes to the spring and he threw salt in it. And then it started producing good water. Second Kings chapter 2 verse 22. It's written in the Bible. So the water has been healed to this day according to the word that Elisha spoke. Now some people might be, oh, that's so cute. That's such a nice little cute little myth about this sort of thing. Go to Jericho today. Go to Jericho today. It's considered one of the oldest cities in the world. Right? It's one of the oldest cities in the world. And in the middle of this desert is this grove of palm trees. It's known as the date city, not because people like eHarmony are there. It's the dates like in the trees, right? And the city of palm trees, that's what it's known as because of this one freshwater spring in Jericho, right? And, and this spring in Jericho has made the surrounding area fertile. And what used to be wasteland and desolate is now producing significant agricultural trade for the entire country of Israel. They produce over 100% of what they need and they export the rest of it out. And a lot of it has to be because of this one spring in Jericho that is producing great water. And so the Bible is so true. It's not just like, oh, that's so cute. Like, it's just a little myth. This is like world-renowned. This is where a lot of the palm trees in the region come from and get shipped out and traded. And then in 2 Kings chapter 4, a widow had a creditor come looking to collect, collect the debt the family owed him. And so the creditor was going to take her children to be slaves to pay off the debt, a normal customary thing back in that time take their children and sell them into slavery until they pay off the debt. So Elisha asked what she had. And she had nothing in the house except a jar of oil. So Elisha told her to borrow a bunch of empty vessels from all of her neighbors and then just start pouring that jar of oil into the vessels. And so one by one they're filling these big vessels with a jar of oil and they're filling it and then they're moving it away and they're filling it and moving it and filling it and until there was no more oil to pour out because the vessels were all done. Like No more vessels to pour the oil in. 
And then Elisha instructed her, sell all these vessels of oil until you pay off the debts, and then whatever's left over, you can use it for you and your sons to live off of. And he did that. Miracle. Second Kings chapter 4, verse 35, Elisha raised the Shunammite woman's child from the dead. Second Kings chapter 5, Elisha cleansed Naaman of leprosy. Second Kings chapter 6, verse 6, Elisha made an iron axe float in water. That's a bad dude. So many miracles in the Old Testament from other prophets as well that we're not going to go there. So many miracles in the New Testament also. And you don't have to look any further than Jesus himself. The first miracle Jesus did was turning water into wine at the wedding in Cana. And his last miracle before his death on the cross was raising Lazarus from the dead. And John wrote this about Jesus in John chapter 21, verse 25. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. I do believe God created the laws of nature, but I don't think he's bound to them. And we know many of the laws, right? We know laws of supply and demand, and we know the ideal gas laws, and we know Mendel's laws, and Newton's laws of gravitation and his three laws of motion and we have all these natural laws and all of these laws have been used for our technological and economic and scientific and sociological benefits as well as other benefits that I haven't mentioned over the centuries humans have discovered many of these laws but I think we only know a fraction of what God has created just a fraction many people at the time saw Jesus ascension right and we don't have a complete explanation of that. I think that's still a miracle today because, like, did he have wings and flap? Like, how did that happen? And so I think it's even a miracle today. Like, how do you explain that? But there are other things that wouldn't be so miraculous if they happened today, right, as they would have been 2,000 years ago. For example, in 1783, this Swiss mathematician named Daniel Bernoulli came up with a theory of flight. And so we know this as Bernoulli's principle. And then in 1903, the Wright brothers applied this theory and other theories to have flight and what seems to defy gravity. That would have been miraculous 2,000 years ago, wouldn't it? Like people were like, what? That's crazy, look at that. But today, it's no big deal. Like who hasn't flown on a plane? It's not a big deal today at all. In fact, today we have these commercial jet planes that can have 440 people inside of them. One plane, right? The Airbus. 440 people can sit in one plane. But see, God knows all of these laws of nature. He created them. And what would seem miraculous to us just isn't so with God. It's not that miraculous. We just know a fraction of the things that he's done. And he's all-knowing and knows how to apply all these laws. And he's created for us these things and, and for our natural world. And that's not to say that God is not supernatural, that he only works in the natural, and that we're just behind in figuring out what he's already done. God is supernatural. He's not bound by the natural world. And so miracles are real. And there isn't always a natural explanation for the supernatural. Now, if God could only operate within the laws of nature, wouldn't that worry you? 
Wouldn't that worry you? I mean, wouldn't he just be too limited and too small? And I think God finds it really cute when we discover one of his created laws of nature. Like, yay, good job, guys. You guys did it. Good job, Bernoulli. Like, good job. Right? And it's kind of like when I witness my kids figure something out. Right? When, when they figure out, like, tonight uh, my daughter was cutting steak with a snake knife and she was, like, cutting it. I was like, good job. You know? Like, that thing's really sharp. Please do not cut yourself. Right? And she's just cutting. And so I, I think God's like that when we're figuring out these things that he's kind of already done. He's like, that's great, you smarty. And so there are going to be things in our future that we thought would never be possible, right? Like 10 years from now, we'll have some sort of technology we thought would be impossible, right? Like an iPhone that doesn't have any problems within a one-year span. Like miraculous things like that. And it seems that this gift of working of miracles is one of the necessities for apostleship. And we've talked about that in our Galatians series, right? We've taken a look at apostleship. And you can also find uh, Paul write about apostleship in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. In, in verse 12, he wrote, The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. So miracles, the working of miracles he did in Corinth was evidence of his apostleship. But that doesn't mean that only apostles had this gift. That's not so, because the Bible tells us of others who were not apostles who had the spiritual gift of working of miracles, right? For example, Stephen, the first Christian martyr, he was a waiter, not an apostle, but he had this gift. And in Acts chapter 6, verse 8, it says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Another person, Philip. Philip wasn't an apostle. In Acts chapter 8, verses 5 and 6, Luke recorded that Philip went down to the city of Samaria proclaiming Jesus Christ, and the crowds with one accord paid attention to him, uh, what he was saying, and they heard him and they saw the signs that he did. Ananias. And this is so ironic, because he was used by God to give Paul his sight back. Paul, this guy who was persecuting the church and throwing people in jail and gave the thumbs up to kill Stephen, God sent Ananias over to heal Paul of this blindness. Acts chapter 9, verse 17. Ananias went to Paul, laid his hand on Paul, and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. See, none of those guys were apostles. But they had the gift of working miracles. And while it was a requirement to have the gift of miracles as an apostle, it wasn't just apostles who had the gift. To have this gift of working miracles, one would be confronted with temptations. Right? Think about this. One of those temptations would be to use the spiritual gift for personal gain. Right? And you might not even ask for anything. You might be like a really good guy who has this gift and you don't want to even ask for anything. But the thing is, people will want to give you something. And then you have to deal with those temptations. It's just like Naaman, right? 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. Elisha healed him of leprosy. Then Naaman said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel, so accept now a present from your servant. See, Elisha didn't even ask for anything. You'll just get showered with stuff. People will want to give you stuff. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. 
And Naaman urged Elisha to take, but he refused. And along with this temptation for personal gain, there's also the temptation to act independently of God, to glorify one's self instead of God. And see, that's what Satan did with Jesus in the temptations that we read about in Luke chapter 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And so Jesus ate nothing during those 40 days. He was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. A miracle, right? And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. Satan also took Jesus to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And Jesus answered Satan, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So there are these temptations in possessing the gift of working miracles of personal gain and of personal glory. Now Elisha and Jesus understood these temptations, so did Peter. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, they were going up to the temple during the hour of prayer. And there was this lame man who was lame from birth who had to be carried daily to the gate of the temple to ask for alms. And this lame man asked Peter and John for alms. And Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. The man leapt up and began to walk into the temple with Peter and John. And he was walking and he's leaping and he's just praising God. And people are wondering, what's all the commotion? And they recognize, hey, that's the lame guy that was outside. And they were amazed. This guy's healed. And so this once lame man was clinging on to Peter and John and all the people were gathering. And they went to Solomon's porch there. And now at this time, Peter could have said, anyone else need healing? Anybody? Anybody? A hundred. Two. Four. Four, four, four. Any higher than this? 400, 400, 1,000. And he could have just he said, all right, give me some money. I'll take care of you. Whatever your problems are, I'll be a millionaire overnight. Just pay me. Right? And he could have said, I'm pretty great, aren't I? <laughs> I'm good, aren't I? I'm, I'm great. I healed this guy. He's been lame since birth. I did it. I did it. Worship me. Kneel. Right? Worship me. He said in Acts chapter 3, verse 12, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we made this man walk? See, Peter didn't look for personal gain. Peter didn't look for personal glory. He gave it all to Jesus. And in Acts chapter 3, verse 16, Peter said, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. See, the people wanted to glorify Peter for this miracle. But Peter was wise enough not to accept it and to be tempted by personal gain or personal glory. So much different than some Christians today. Like some televangelists today who are looking for personal glory or personal gain. And Peter knew better. And so did Paul, so did Barnabas. In Acts chapter 14, starting in verse 8, Paul and Barnabas were in Lystra, and there was a man who could not use his feet. He was crippled since birth. He had never walked, 
And so he listened to Paul speaking, and he noticed that this man had faith to be made well. And so with a loud voice, he said, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and he began walking. Now, what I find more miraculous than the healing is that this guy just started walking. Right? Because a baby, you got to kind of train this baby to walk. This guy just stood up and started walking. I'm like, dude, that's awesome. Like, run. You know, like, let me see. Like, this is awesome. So he sprang up and then... The crowd started to say in verse 8, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. They called Barnabas Zeus and they called Paul Hermes. Then the priest of Zeus brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds to these guys. Now what would a lot of people do right here? Right? These people are worshiping me. They want to give me stuff and they want to give me praise and they want to come around me and like pat me on the back. See, I think we don't see the gift of working miracles as often because I think we struggle a lot with personal gain and personal glory. I think that most people at this moment, they would like to be thought of as gods. Right? But isn't that what a lot of celebrities do? Isn't that a lot of musicians do and a lot of actors and things like that? They think that they're above everything else or athletes or people that just have a lot of fame and a lot of money. And people that are thinking, you know, if I have this, now what can I get out of this situation? If people praise me and glorify me this much, if people want to give me all this stuff, if I can make money off of this, if I can get power and all this, what can I get out of my current situation? And thinking, I can probably get whatever ever I want. Anything I want, I can probably get it right now. I mean, what a temptation. And so there's a temptation whenever God uses us as a tool for His supernatural work. And that's what we are. We are tools, right? You're a tool. And I find it odd that people give credit to the operator of the tool in our natural world. Right? They give it to the operator, not the tool itself. But in the supernatural, we give credit to the tool. Right? So when a surgery is successful, we don't praise the scalpel. Oh man, that scalpel was so sharp. That's praise you, scalpel. Like you, you're so sharp. And you can cut things so great. Like you can cut through skin and flesh and all this stuff. You did such a great job. We don't do that. We give credit to the surgeon. Right? We praise the surgeon because he's the one using this tool. And yet, we tend to praise people when they are the tool and God is the operator of this tool. Right? Of you tools. And, and so we tend to praise the tools instead of God. So to have this gift, someone really has to know God really well. Someone really has to know themselves really well to be able to give God the glory to be able to give God the praise and not to use their gift from God for personal gain for personal glory because the temptations that come along with this particular gift they're great it could destroy your life it would wreak havoc in your life to abuse this particular gift now there are people who believe miracles and other spiritual gifts for that matter, that they've ceased. That they've ceased from the time of the apostles. They're known as cessationists. They even have conferences 
I'm serious. It was, I think, this past month that there was a conference down in Southern California talking about, like, there are no tongues or any spiritual gifts for that matter. It's crazy to me, but there's reasons for different conferences, and I don't want to judge those things. But I strongly disagree with them. I strongly disagree with them. Because if they do believe that, then those teachers, which some of them are actually really good, is their gift from the flesh? Because if it is from the flesh, do you really want to follow that for your spiritual life? If it's from their flesh. And in regards to miracles, do miracles no longer happen? And I think they do. And I think there are some people here who have had miracles happen in their life. And if you don't believe it, then at some point, I don't know, maybe you guys can raise your hands or something and have people talk to you, but I know that some of you have had miracles in your life. Now, how many people would say that they are saved? Right. All these are miracles, right? And I'm going to give you a biblical text for that. I'm not just saying that to be cutesy. I'm like, oh, you're just all saved. Oh. Your salvation is a miracle, right? You take a look at Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17. Because this is the story of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus asking about how he was going to receive salvation. This guy leaves disheartened, sorrowful, because he couldn't give up what Jesus asked of him. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples this, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And he says it again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Then they were exceedingly astonished and said to Jesus, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Is that not a miracle? Impossible with man, but not with God. That is essentially the definition of a miracle. So you see how salvation is a miracle because with man, that is impossible because you cannot earn it. You cannot do anything for it, but not so with God. It is impossible for man to save himself or to save somebody else spiritually. It's a miracle. It is a work of God. So to say that miracles or any other spiritual gift ceased after the days of the apostle and it doesn't exist today would be saying that salvation is not for today either because there are no miracles. So you couldn't be saved today. And if there is no salvation today, then why are you and I here? Why are we here? Why do we bother reading the Bible? Why do we bother praying? Why do we bother worshiping? Why wouldn't we just go home and watch TV or do something? Why would we even care about God? If salvation is not an option, this is just a waste of time. But it's not, because God is still saving people today. And I don't read of anything in the Bible that says that the spiritual gifts have ceased. I don't read it anywhere. And if you know of anything, please share that with me. God is still using people today who have the gift of working miracles, but we need to be aware that there are imposters out there who prey on people for personal gain and for personal glory, who deceive people with spiritual gifts that really don't exist in them. When I was in high school, my dad 
had some serious health issues for several years. And we went to this healing service, right? We went to this healing service where, where people claimed to be healed of all these different things. And I think it was like at Rosemead High School in their auditorium or something like that. It was a big auditorium. It could fit a lot of people, and it's full of people. And I went there with my dad because my dad was so sick that he couldn't drive. He had a, a neurological problem that he was in so much pain and, and he couldn't drive. So he asked me if I could take him to one of these meetings. And I was like, oh, are you kidding me? Come on. I can't believe that stuff. And so we went. And so I remember being there and it was, I was kind of weirded out because people were just kind of like acting like animals and dancing around and like having all these weird things coming out of their mouth and all this stuff. And I was just kind of weirded out and was like, man, this is weird. And then I noticed like people with walkers and canes and wheelchairs and all this types of stuff. They were going up to the people up front and they were being slain in the spirit, right? And they were like praying and they're falling and convulsing and doing all this kind of stuff. And all these people just laying on the floor over there. And then they got up and they didn't use their cane and they didn't use a wheelchair and they didn't use a walker or anything. They just started going. I was like, whoa. That's crazy. And then my dad went up. And I saw him get knocked over and like, boom, and he, put and he was there. And I was like, is my dad healed? And so he came back up to his seat. And so I asked him, hey, dad, are you healed? And I was like, no. Why did you fall on the ground? And he was like, they pushed me. And then he was like, I'm in a lot of pain. They pushed me down there. And, and so... That didn't destroy my hope that miracles aren't real. I just acknowledge that there are imposters out there. There are frauds out there, charlatans, people taking advantage of people who are in real pain. And I still believe that God is out there working this gift of miracles in people's lives, like in our church, and so many of us are saved tonight, and that's a miracle, according to what happened with the rich young ruler. We don't have to lie about it. We don't have to lie. And my dad doesn't suffer the same issues that he had years ago, which I think was a miracle. That somewhere along the line, he did receive that gift of healing. He did receive that miracle. And I don't know whose prayer it was. Maybe it was a bunch of people because there have been a lot of people. But I know that it wasn't by natural means because we went to all sorts of different doctors and chiropractors and acupuncturists and herbalists and all sorts of different alternative medicine type stuff and no one was able to help him out and nothing ever happened and then just a few years later he just woke up and the pain was gone just like that like it wasn't a medicine it wasn't a treatment it wasn't it was just he woke up and it was gone several years of pain debilitating pain just gone miracle this is a miracle and so some of you have witnessed or heard about miracles in people's lives right miracles of provision miracles of healing Miracles of reconciliation, where you thought, man, these relationships would never work out, like me and my dad. Because after that time, he and I kind of went our different ways when I cared for him in my high school years, and we, we parted, and we didn't kind of talk to each other for seven years. I just figured, I'm just going to probably show up when this guy dies. And he brought us back together. And there are these miracles, right, things supernatural that only of God May we be prayerful and hopeful and faithful in our expectation of God working in us to have these gifts of working miracles. And perhaps we don't see this gift manifest because God is protecting us from destroying ourselves. 
from gaining personally, from glorifying ourselves, and perhaps our character can't handle this. I can just speak for myself, and I can honestly say, I don't think I can handle this one. I don't think I can handle this gift. I don't think I can say, oh, I won't gain, I, I won't personally gain from this. Like if I had the power to heal people, going into hospitals, maybe I wouldn't gain anything, but maybe the glorify part, there's the healer dude, right? Who wouldn't do that? Why wouldn't you go into the NICU at Children's Hospital and heal all those babies? Why wouldn't you do that? You wouldn't do that because God didn't instruct you to. And if you had the character to withstand and to listen and to be sensitive to God to do as He wills and don't act independently of God, which is sin. Even if it's a good thing, if you act independently of God, that is acting in your flesh. That is not acting in your spirit. And so I just don't think that I could handle it. And maybe one of you can, though. Maybe one of you have that character to withstand the temptations that come along with this gift, and it's an awesome gift. But I know as of right now, tonight, I probably couldn't handle this one. Now, that won't stop me from praying for you. Right? It won't stop me from praying for you for healing or for some miracle in your life because maybe for some reason I will have this form of character for 10 seconds or something. But I know that I'm flawed. As a human, I know that I'm flawed. I'll exercise my faith for healing, for miracles, but I do know that I'm sinful. I know that. Now, hopefully, you'll receive prayer from someone holier than me. Right? And if I were you, I would probably pray with Frank. <laughs> and, and, you know, just looking for someone who's just pure at heart and, and would just pray for you, like, not looking for personal gain, not looking for personal glory. I'm not that strong. I know that about myself. So this gift of working miracles, I don't see that it, it's God withholding that gift from us at all. I think God wants to shower us with all his gifts. I don't think it's that God doesn't want to give it to us I think it's God withholding this particular gift because of the magnitude of its temptations. That this is a dangerous gift to have if your character is weak. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, it's written, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? See, I want all the spiritual gifts. I want them all. Right? The working of miracles included. I mean, give it all to me, Lord. I want it all. That tells you a lot about my heart, though, doesn't it? <laughs> right? And I don't fully understand it, but I know it well enough to know that I'm not always able to possess such powerful spiritual gifts. Right? God fully understands my heart. He knows when to give that to me and when not to give that to me. He loves me too much to give me something that I can't handle. And so, will we see this gift of miracles working tonight? I really hope so. I'd love to see it. I think it's totally possible, and I think that we have people here that are totally open to it. And perhaps someone here tonight needs a miracle. 
And we'll pray for you. We have several people here, several of our elders are here, several from our ministry staff are here. We would be honored to pray for that miracle for you. And we'll wait and we'll see if that miracle happens. And if it happens, praise God and we'll celebrate. And if it doesn't, then we'll still praise God. Many of us have seen miracles, right? Such as people receiving salvation. And over the years in ministry here, I've seen so many people come to the Lord. And salvation is a miracle of God. And so if you really want to see a miracle, share the gospel. Share the gospel. See God work right before your eyes to have someone receive salvation. Disciple someone that's younger in the faith than you. Watch God work this miracle of transforming this person right before your eyes into someone that's walking more closely with Jesus. Miracles, right? Evangelism and discipleship. You'll see miracles from that. See, the mission of our church is to make disciples of Jesus. That's what our mission is. That's what a church's mission is, right? Go make disciples of all nations. And so as we go about doing this, as we go about evangelizing and discipling, we will see miracles. And you have probably already seen miracles and we've seen lives transformed by the spirit of God what God has done and is doing those things are miracles this church is kind of a miracle I won't be able to share every single snippet or story again Frank was probably there since the beginning you can ask Frank to pray for you and share stories about region but when we started the Bible study we actually met in a nightclub right we met in a nightclub and we used this I don't know. It's just like a room before you go into the main hall of the nightclub. I don't know what you call that. And it had no insulation. And so it was so cold during the winter and it was so hot during the summer and the fall. And so there was no heat. There was no air. There's no ducts or vents or anything. And there's no insulation. And it was so dirty. And it was so grungy, right? It, like if you stepped on the floor, like if you had flip-flops, your flip-flop would stick to the floor and your foot would come out. It was nasty it was like one of those like fly glue trap things and your feet when you're stepping like it sounded like that and I have no idea how that Bible study grew I think it's because people were stuck there and they just come back and then more people stuck there and more people but there is no church planting manual that says go find a stinky no air sticky ground dirty grungy place to plant the church right that's a miracle. Like, who would be so stupid to start a church like that? Us! Then we moved into the main hall of the nightclub because we're growing out of this space, so we moved back into the main hall of the nightclub. And then behind this main hall is this green room for those raves and those nightclubs and stuff for the band to meet back there. Well, I don't know if you know this. Those people are unholy, right? So back in that green room, is the nastiest stuff. I mean, it, it was bad. So we had these two night services. I had to go there around two or three to start cleaning because it was so nasty. I would find syringes and needles and condoms and broken glass pipes. I would find all this stuff in the back there. That was our children's ministry room. We did that. Like, I think about it now, I'm like, so stupid. 
Like, I didn't have kids then. I was like, yeah, put them back there. I'll just clean it up, you know. I mean, it's, it's a miracle no one left there with diseases. That's a miracle. No one got stuck with a needle, even me when I'm cleaning this stuff. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And we started with no money. None. Right? We're just doing this Bible study thing. There's no money. We had our first annual picnic, $14. Target bought a volleyball. That's it. Not even the net, just the volleyball. Right? That's what we did. And so for the first five and a half years of ministry, I didn't get paid. Worked full-time ministry. There's no money. Just did it. And I'm not patting myself on the back because no one on staff got paid. Except for the senior pastor. He got like a, a little something. He got whatever kind of trickled in. Right? But the rest of the people on staff, we didn't get. The worship people didn't get paid. The children's people didn't get paid. The admin person. Nobody got paid. We just did stuff. For five and a half years, who does that? Who does full-time work? Stupid. Like, there's so many stupid things. Like, it just makes no sense. It's just miraculous. And so, here we are, little money, and nothing's going on, and this ministry is growing. And so we moved to Seventh-day Adventist Church in Berkeley. Right? And so we're on Parker Street, Seventh-day Adventist Church there. No insulation, extremely hot or extremely cold. And the neighbors hated us. They hated us. Every week they'd call the police on us. Every week. The police would come and talk to us and say, like, you got a noise complaint and saying noise pollution and all this stuff. So what did we have to do? We had to buy a decibel reader, like this decibel meter. And we had someone serve at the church. This was one of the ministries at the church. You hold the decibel meter across the street and you hold the thing so that when the police comes by, you say, we're within the city's limits. Every week they'd call. Every week they'd come and complain. Every week they'd come and tell us, you're too loud and you're disrupting our neighborhood, all this stuff. All these kind of things like bickering and all this stuff. So we look for this other facility and we find this warehouse, this biotech warehouse in Berkeley. No way for us to afford it. We were just going to take a step of faith and just do it. And so we were on our way, the senior pastor and I were on our way to sign the lease that very day when the pastor of this church, Lakeside Baptist Church, he was hounding us for months. Come over and take a look at our facility. Come over and check it out. It's cool, whatever. And so we were just entertaining him and just said, hey, let's just stop by and say we did it. And then we'll just go sign the lease in Berkeley. We'll just do that. And we came here and then the senior pastor and I, we just both sensed like the Holy Spirit saying, we want you here. And we were sitting right here. It was right on the stage. And we looked at each other and like, hmm. And then we went to the car and we looked at each other again. And I said, I think God wants us here. And he's like, yeah, I think so too. So we went over to the place in Berkeley and we just said, yeah, we don't want your place. And they were so mad because we were like negotiating for so long and getting permits to say like this can be a church and all this stuff. We worked on this thing for months and then we just showed them, oh, we're not doing it. They were fuming. And so we ended up here, and we gutted this place. We had, again, no money. How this new carpet got in here, how we repaired stained glass, how we painted all this stuff, how we did an $80,000 renovation in the cafe, how we did $14,000 showers across the street, how we renovated children. I have no idea where that money came from. It's like all of a sudden, we, it just came. It makes no sense. It wasn't in the budget. And it just happened. And I totally think it's a miracle. Right? And then five years ago, the senior pastor had a moral failure. It crushed our church. I don't know how many of you were here at that time. It crushed the church. Frank. Count on you, Frank. 
But aside from Frank, how many people were during that time? Just a handful, right? The majority of the elders at that time, well, not the majority, some of the elders at that time left. The majority of the ministry staff left. 80% of regeneration has been here less than three years because most of those people left. For weeks, nothing came into the church. No money. People just stopped giving. And I understand why. I mean, this is a very traumatic thing. Nothing came in. So we started talking about dissolving regeneration. Like, I guess this is it. So we just shut every ministry down. We just went into prayer and fasting. That week, as we went into prayer and fasting, the largest giving week in Regen's history, I believe even to this day, was that week. And it just helped us to be afloat again. And there were so many times in the past when we were doing ministry, are we going to make payroll? Are we going to be able to pay rent? Are we going to be able to do all this kind of stuff? And God would always come through. And you know the funny thing is? He'd always come in by dollar amounts. He didn't come in by like $1,000 or 10000 Like we needed $10,000 for a, a trip to Russia, a missions trip. Right? Do you guys remember a group called Tremolo? Right? Justin Stevens' group Tremolo? Well, we had this crazy idea that we were going to fly Tremolo to do all these rock outreaches out there in Russia. Not thinking this is going to cost $70,000 to the church. Our budget's like 200000 So we're just, oh, we're going to do it in faith. The week of that we have to pay this thing, we're short like a lot of money. We make it by like 10 bucks. 10 bucks. Like God just supplied by 10 bucks. And so we went. And so now Justin started this thing called Not For Sale, the human trafficking movie. That was because of that trip that he saw that in Russia. And so he brought that back and he started doing his work with sex trafficking. That was because of that trip. And so there's all these little things that are happening, miraculous things of provision and just helping the church survive and having the church go forward. Even with our youth ministry leader, right? Brett, the guy in the dreadlocks there, that you can pray with him. He's probably holier than me too. So pray for miracles with him. Even the way Brett came to us, I don't know if you guys realize this, but for two and a half years, we've been praying for a youth ministry leader. And it's not in the budget to pay for a youth ministry leader. And here comes Brett with like, I don't know, 15 years of experience with youth ministry or something like that. 15 years. Someone like that costs bucks, right? You don't just get like a green dude. He's not a green dude that's never had any ministry experience. And you can be like, oh, let's pay a minimum wage. 15 years experience, you got to pay the dude. So here comes Brett. We can't pay him because he doesn't have a visa that allows us to pay him. And we don't even have it in the budget anyway. And so how God just works these miraculous things to like, yeah, I'm going to provide that to you, but this time I'm not going to provide you in terms of money. I'm just going to provide you a scenario that works here. It's like, man, God, you're funny, man. Like, you're awesome. Like, how do you do these things? And so all this stuff and there's so many other little stories within our church, right, that has all this stuff. And we just don't have the time to tell all these different stories of just miraculous workings that have been happening. But God's been so faithful through all of it, right, bringing in 
people who served and led ministry at times that we needed them here and even all this stuff that is happening currently like it's just miraculous who would have ever thought that we would be in position five years ago having nothing talking about dissolving the church to now purchasing this place this place is appraised at over three million dollars not that the church has that much but this is another part of the miracle thing I'm praying that this is given to us. I'm praying that the church is given to us. I'm praying for that miracle. That God changed the hearts of the people that own this thing and they are going to give it to us. Because we can't afford it. We can't afford three plus million dollars. Give it to us. In the name of Jesus, right? So, so, so I'm just going to pray that. I'm going to believe that. I'm like, let's do this. Let's do this thing. And so there's these broad strokes of miracles. Right? So many individual stories. God always can. Always. See, God is so good, and He's still in the business of working miracles. Look at your own life. Just look at your own life, kind of chart your own life, and I think you're going to find something in there where God's fingerprints were on there that He did some miraculous thing. In. Take some time to pray. Take some time to ask the Holy Spirit, can you show me the miracles in my life? Just show them to me. Take some time to do that. And so tonight, we're going to do that in worship. And I also want to honor our time. You know, we're going to end at 8.30. And feel free to get your kids if you need to. Or feel free to leave. You're not going to insult anybody. You're not going to insult Jane. Or maybe you'll insult Jane if you're leaving and she's singing. We'll pray for a miracle. But during that time, please come up for communion just on the side there. Take some time to read the scripture there to take communion in a worthy manner. This art media here, if you want to write a poem, if you write a prayer, if you want to draw something, if you have a miracle that you want to just kind of put down there, that's there for you. At this time, we're just going to pray. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come. And after a few songs, and we've, done communion together if you guys want to get into smaller groups and reflecting upon the miracles in your life and you want to share those things with one another go for it and pray for one another go for it i'll be sitting up front here and i'd be more than happy to pray for any of you we have a few of the elders out there uh, eric's there in the cool button-up shirt and yusuf's in the orange right there and then mike gets is in the middle there with uh, his wife, Kathy, in the red. And then we have some ministry staff here, too. Stefan's in the back there. John's in the back there. Um, Brett, right there. All of us would be honored to pray with you.